0: I think Matt was correct when he said that the, these days are full of purpose and meaning and irony. And I think the text that we look at today is one that really expresses a lot of the, the meaning and the irony as we look at it this morning. We're grateful that the text is given to us, but it's also a surprising text. When I looked at it this week, I was trying to to try to figure out what is it that is important about this text that both Mark and Matthew would include it in this week, why there would be another passage in Luke that reflects it, and why John even speaks of this, I think, in Jesus' discourse in the upper room in John 15. So our text is about the cursing of the fig tree and what that's all about. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I find it an intriguing text, an intriguing passage to take a look at. And I find the questions that are, intru- but that are invoked here, one by the disciples and one by me, are not necessarily the same question. Jesus curses the fig tree, and my question is, why? Why does he do that? But I find it ironic that that's not the disciples' question, their question is how? How did this happen? And so this morning, I want us to take a look at this text and I want to look at both what happened, and then I want to dig down deeper into why Jesus cursed this fig tree. And then I want to address the disciples' question and Jesus' response to it, which I think is very interesting as well. What happened? Well, early in the morning, Jesus was returning to Jerusalem. He'd been Bethany. This is the day after he cleansed the temple. He came back to the city. It was early in the morning, and he was hungry. And one thing I think this passage does show to us is the humanity of Jesus. We're hungry, and he is also hungry. And so he sees a tree out in the distance that's full of leaves. The promise of a tree full of leaves is one that it will actually have fruit to it. John actually tells us this tree is actually budded and bloomed ahead of the season, because this was not the season in which figs would be, uh, be, be born. But it's interesting. Jesus sees that tree, and he walks up that tree, and he expects it to have fruit. It's beautiful. It looks like it should bear fruit, but it doesn't. And Jesus says this. He says, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately, the tree withered. Basically, that's the story. In those things, Jesus sees a tree. He expects it to have fruit. But it doesn't have fruit. And he curses the tree and it withers. Why? That's my question. Why does Jesus curse this tree? It doesn't seem appropriate. It doesn't seem like it would be that which Jesus would do. Why does he do this? The context, I think, in which this passage is established helps us to understand it more clearly. The cursing of the fig tree is between two temple scenes. It also then follows by two uh, parables about a vineyard. The first temple scene, the one we Matt talked about a minute ago, is the cleansing, cleansing of the temple. Jesus walks into the temple, he sees it. It's to be a house of prayer. And he says, You've made it a den of robbers and thieves. And he cleanses the temple from all those things. The scene that follows is a scene where he's in the temple and the the Jewish leaders are asking, by whom do you gain this authority? Where do you get this authority? And Jesus asks them a question in return. He says, was the baptism of John from God or from men? And the leaders questioned that among themselves. They went back, if we say it's from God... Then that'll establish him as a prophet. Who would say, "As man, we're afraid of the people," so they couldn't answer. And Jesus said, "Since you can't answer, I won't tell you that as well." So you see a conflict between Jesus and the leaders of Israel. But then there's also two parables. There's two parables. The first parable is the parable of the two sons. In that parable, Jesus, the father asks the son. He says, "Will you go out and work in the vineyard?" And the first son says, I will not. And then later changes his mind and goes in. The second son says, I will go in. I will go into the vineyard and do the work. But he never goes in. And Jesus answers the question which one of these two sons did the will of the Father? And they answer correctly the first one. Even though he delayed, he actually did the will of the Father. And Jesus said to the leaders, so tax collectors and prostitutes will come into the kingdom before you. The second parable is another parable about a vineyard. It's about a man who owns a house, and he plants a vineyard and builds a wall around it, and he leases it out to people who are supposed to be stewards of that vineyard, and he goes to a far city. And then he sends his servants back to that vineyard to collect the fruit that is truly due him. And what happens to those servants? They're robbed, they're beaten, one of them is even killed. So he sends, what does he do? He sends a second group of servants, and the same thing happens to those. And he says, finally, I will send my son. Surely they will respect my son, and I send to collect my fruit. And what happens? The people say, let's take the son and kill him and take his inheritance from him. And Jesus finished that when he said this in that passage. He said, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruit. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? The fig tree represented Israel who had all the outward accoutrements of something that would indeed bear fruit. But when you looked at it more closely, it was barren of any fruit. And so when Jesus curses the fig tree, he is actually saying, I am going to take away from Israel the kingdom of God and give it to another, another people who will indeed bear fruit. And this leads us into the second question that the disciples asked. How did it happen? When the disciples saw it, they they marvel, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? But Jesus' answer is not how it happened, but it's actually a a a passage where he is telling them they were going to have the same kind of power that Jesus had when he curses the fig tree. He said, if you have faith and you do not doubt, then you will be able to do what I have done to this fig tree. And not only that, you will be able to say to this mountain... Go and cast it into the sea, and it will do that. It will be cast into the sea. Now, I think the expression, this mountain, it's not just a mountain or any mountain, but it's this mountain. So the question is, what mountain is he speaking of? And many have come at it different ways. Some have been able to think, maybe it's the Mount of Olives that he's there. Some be think, maybe it's the Temple Mount itself. Maybe it's the whole idea of Jerusalem, since it's built upon the mountain itself. But he said, you'll be able to cast this mountain into the sea if you have faith. And you do not doubt. Whatever you ask in prayer, he, he finishes with. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Whatever ask you, you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. When I think about this, it's a, it's a big, big question. We pray. We seek these things. If so we have faith, God says that we will have the power as is cursing the fig tree or casting this mountain into the sea. So how it is that we demonstrate that faith, and where does that faith come from? John 15, I think, is only expressed in a few days later in the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus, in that same way, talks about a vineyard. And he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it bear, may bear more fruit, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I see this passage as being one that really deals directly with what Jesus was doing when he, when he cursed the fig tree and he was handing over the kingdom of God, the stewardship of the kingdom of God to another people. But he said, you can't do this on your own. You don't have the strength on your own. You have to be abide in me. You have to be a branch that's attached to the vine to be able to do this. Seven times in the John 15 passage, he talks about bearing fruit. Seven times in the John 15 passage, he talks about abiding in Christ. How is it that we're going to be able to be the stewards that God would want us to be unless we are ones who truly are attached to the vine? If we are not, we will not be able to bear the fruit that he requires. What is necessary to bear the fruit? To abide in Christ. Years ago, I was in seminary and I heard John Piper speak for the first time And he helped me with something. I was thinking about abiding and thinking about it particularly as related to ministry and and the activities that we pursue in those. And he had a little uh, uh, acronym acronym that he used to be able to help understand how it is to think about what does it mean to abide. It's called APTAT, A-P-T-A-T. And he said the first thing we have to do, we're we're confronted with something or, or Jesus wants to do something, we have to admit that apart from him we can do nothing. Admit that apart from him, we can do nothing. The second thing is we're to pray. And pray for the presence of Christ and the presence of the Spirit to be with us in the midst of those things that we're pursuing. The third thing we're to do is trust. How does we trust that God will accomplish his purposes through us? And then A is we're to act. He's given us responsibility to bear fruit. We are to act and to be able to do that. And finally, the last one is T, is the thanks thanksgiving to give God the thanks for the work that he is doing in our lives we are a people who are given the stewardship of the kingdom of God we are a people who are called to bear fruit the text tells us therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruit we are that people John 15 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Then he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As we gather here this afternoon, we are, the f- we are the fruit of the faithful generations that have preceded us. May we be faithful as we scatter into our homes, our places of work, our schools, our neighborhoods, faithful to extend the transforming presence of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, Amen.